Welcome to Attenuation, a weekly podcast where two friends come together to drink beer, discuss beer styles and trends, and just generally ruminate on the meaning of life, aka beer. If you enjoy your time with us, we invite you to become a weekly listener and subscribe to the podcast. Without further ado, here is this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to episode 22 of Attenuation, a beer podcast. My name is Jason, and I'm joined by my best friend since eighth grade, Stephen. Hello. <laughs> How you doing, Stephen? Good, thanks. So today, we are doing another deep dive, and we are going to talk about farmhouse ales and their many derivatives. So before we get into that main topic, we have to do the best part of the podcast, and that's drinking beer. Of course. <laughs> so I failed my homework. Um, we actually recorded pretty recently, so I only had a few days and I didn't yeah. get out <laughs> and find a... I'm not drinking a farmhouse ale. Steven did much better. He has one. So, um, Well, you did mention that you were going to try... You were going to drink Hoptimum on this episode. You did mention that. So I did. So I am fulfilling a promise from yeah. last week. So I'll introduce my beer and I'll get my... And, as, and per usual, I did my homework and I got to save one. So. Yeah, so you, you're the... You're the uh, <laughs> You do all the good homework. You get the A's. I get, I'm, yeah. I'm, the, I'm like the kid I, in the group project that does all the work. And Jason Yeah, <laughs> I just drink beer and get carried by <laughs> Steven. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, so anyways, I'll introduce my beer and give some nose notes, and then I'll pass it over to Steven. So as you heard, I am drinking Hoptimum from Sierra Nevada. Can I just interrupt you for a second? Can yeah. I just say also that this is probably the first time in my entire life that I, I am the per person in the group project (laughs) (laughs) well there you go carry on (laughs) that's really funny okay so this is optimum it's a triple ipa and me and steven were just discussing this because i was just conversing with him right before we started recording and i looked this up on the sierra nevada website and it's only says it's only 75 ibu now in the modern version and i was like is that right i swear it used to be 100 ibu so we did a little research and indeed it did used to be 100 ibu so even optimum has been influenced by the modern you know trends in craft beer and the bitterness war is ended yeah the great ibu war of (laughs) <laughs> the early 2000s is over. <laughs> it's over. If Hoptimum's only 75, I'm actually super interested to taste this because it's still a massive beer. It's 11% ABV, so I don't think that's changed. But yeah, it's not going to be as bitter. And I don't fully remember what it's like, but I do remember I did drink that 100 IBU Hoptimum, uh, and I, I recall <laughs> it was an experience. So I'm going to pop this guy open and those notes on here and then we'll pass it along so i need to pick me up one of those because like i said i am like a triple ipa fiend right now like that's my jam yeah now is the time i definitely it's definitely I really love that so, color yeah it's a beautiful uh it's an amber very and it's, clear though it's yeah that's the thing that's so like striking. i can see your face through it yeah, is that, isn't that striking? Because I'm so used to pouring out all these hazies now. Just yeah. to see the clarity on this beer is kind of blowing my mind. And then it has a very um, fine head, and it's kind of creating a nice carpet there. Um, it's a little bit lacy if you give it a spin, so we'll get some nose notes as well. It's very, So it's funny, because I know it's going to trick me, because when you smell it, there's a lot of those tropical flavors. I'm getting like mango pineapple but then there's a lot of dank resin like lurking below the surface and i know when i taste it <laughs> that's gonna take the forefront and i it's not i don't think it's gonna be um this tropical flavor so i'm gonna dive into this one and let steven introduce his beer all right cool oh that's you're making me want to drink that all right so i was able to find a uh, belgian style farmhouse ale it's 2015 vintage it is a it's called jillian from goose island beer company in chicago uh it's actually this used to be called scully and then they changed it to call it jillian after jillian anderson who played scully in x files uh it's a tribute to her she used to work in a uh, goose island 
pub in Chicago while she was going to college. So Wow, um, that's so awesome. Yeah. So they have this farmhouse ale uh, named after her. It's a it's so the description is a wild ale aged in wine barrels with aromas of strawberries, honey and white pepper, slightly tart with an effervescent body. So and then it, they brewed it with strawberries, strawberry juice, honey, white pepper, and aged it in wine barrels. So that's the brew process. Uh, should be really interesting. So we'll get more on this later, but that honey and pepper very true to that style. Those sort of additions. And I'm very interested to see how that tastes. So very, very pale straw color with just a, like a hint of red in it, probably from the strawberry edition. So it's just kind of like a strawberry blonde color. Very, very effervescent. No head at all. Um, very, very champagne bubbly type of carbonation. And I'll do some nose notes here. Okay, so right off the bat, it has that sort of funky farmhouse yeast characteristic, kind of that like uh, sort of a horse blanket. Wet dog. Wet dog, kind of <laughs> moldy, moldy barnyard aroma. And it's so funny that like when you describe it, you're like, God, that's disgusting. But you know how like eggs are like sulfury, you know? Yeah. But like at the same time, so it like kind of smells like a fart, but also kind of smells good at the same time. You know what I'm talking about? It's a solid analogy. Yeah. Okay. Just a hint of strawberry on the nose. Uh, mostly just that tart funk I can, I'm getting. Maybe a little lemon. A little lemon, a little strawberry, tart funk. That's my nose. Sounds awesome. Okay. This is really, this, this new Optimum, the 75 IBU Optimum. I'm a fan. So, and I think you would really like this. You need to go find one immediately. It's way better balanced i think now remember this is up memory but from what i remember um when i had the 100 ibu optimum it reminded me a lot of like torpedo but like turned up to 11 if you're familiar with torpedo and i think it was not as good as this because this is really well balanced so it's you have that malt entrance that caramel malt and it's almost sweet it's almost like honey caramel and honey um, and we kind of talked about this a little bit last week, but I feel like in, you know, a lot of these new hazy, what's popular right now, these hazy dry hopped IPAs, they almost just delete the whole malt profile. Um, so it's really fun to revisit this and remember like, oh yeah, this is prior to the beer too. Um, but then it does evolve and you get, um, I would say almost like blood orange and it's very piney and then it kind of there's a really long finish and I almost get like a little bit of like green melon in there and it just coats your entire mouth and has a super long resinous finish. And even though it's 11% ABV, it doesn't, it it tastes strong, maybe like 7%, like, but it doesn't taste, you don't get like that powerful alcohol note anywhere. So, wow, I really like this. I only bought one, but I should have bought the four pack. (laughs) If I go back, I'll get the four pack. Um, definitely thumbs up on this one well luckily that's a beer i think you should be able to find almost all the time man i gotta give me one of those yeah this is asap it's really fun to come back to this because i don't feel yeah i just haven't been drinking these these this style of ipa for a long time yeah i'm really i mean i alluded to it last episode but triple ipa a good a well executed triple ipa i think that's my next sort of happy spot where i'm gonna stay for a while (laughs) yeah and it totally means i think we talked about this last week as well but if you want to sit with it and really focus on it there's a lot going on but if you just just relax and take a sip it's also it's so enjoyable just to kind of drink without trying to dissect so it's nice i had one uh, we have a turning point brewery in um somewhere in texas i can't remember where exactly they're all in the dallas area (laughs) most of them but I had a triple IPA from them, and it was incredible. So, yeah, that, I think that's my, my new jam. Thumbs up on that. Yes. And I'm going to get me one as soon as I can. <laughs> How is your beer? This beer is awesome. Oh, good. And it's funny because sort of reading about the farmhouse ale and its history that we'll talk about a little bit, like, it's, you know, a very refreshing, supposed to be a very refreshing, like, summer drink at its basically the perfect description for this beer it's just uh it has this nice lemon lime tartness kind of moves into this sort of strawberry wine sort of venice floral flavors the 
the carbonation just dances. I mean, it, it's very, very, very effervescent. So that's sort of playing into the mouthfeel the whole time. And then it has this like oak and pepper in the finish for sure. That um, pepper does sort of, there's a little bit of a spice burn in the back. And then it just kind of mellows out to this very dry, tart finish. It's just like so refreshing because it's funny. I came into this episode. I was as we were talking pre-episode, I kind of like my mouth was sort of dry. And I was like, man, maybe I should grab some water before I have to talk for an hour on the podcast. I was like, well, I'm drinking a farmhouse, you know, let's see. Let's see what it does to my thirst. See, it's awesome. Refreshing. Yeah, (laughs) it's a that was a beautiful thing. That's awesome. It like refreshes me and then just leaves me wanting to just keep drinking more it's really good oh also this is 8.6 percent oh wow it is nowhere to be found i mean nowhere wow that's impressive yeah there is no alcohol flavor burn smell nothing Hmm. so now i want what you're drinking All right. Well, good. So do we have beer news this week? We do. This is, <laughs> this is a good one. What is so, it? Boston Beer Company, which is the parent company to Sam Adams, Dogfish Head, Angry Orchard Hard Cider, Truly, our favorite, our favorite Truly, Hard Seltzer. Oh, yes. The best emerging hey. style. <laughs> they are partnering with PepsiCo to make... A hard Mountain Dew. <sighs> and that sums up our feelings on that. <laughs> hard Mountain Dew? That doesn't even sound <laughs> Mountain Dew is like overly powering, overly powering sweet. Yeah, it will come in three flavors. What are the flavors? Regular. Black okay. cherry. Probably your fave. I know. Wait, hold on. Maybe I'm down for black cherry. And watermelon. Oof, watermelon Mountain Dew. And they're all zero sugar. Oh, interesting. I was going to yeah. say, this doesn't seem like it's going to be competitive against Truly, because I think the big draw to a lot of those is there no calories. But there you go. They there you go. Zero, zero sugar. Yep. All right. Well, as much as I hate that idea, mm-hmm. I might actually try the blank <laughs> <laughs> I'll never give you I'll never give you the satisfaction of knowing. I'll do it in secret, in my secret shame. Yeah, you'll never actually cop to it. Right? <laughs> no, I would. I don't care. That does sound <laughs> truly awful, though. I don't. <laughs> it does not. Sound I mean, good. I have never actually. I might on, be able to honestly say that I've never had Mountain Dew. I mean, I, I don't think I can probably honestly say that, but I feel like I've maybe had it once in my life it's just now there's never been a draw for me to a mountain dew yeah i don't i so i drink them on occasion they they have slightly higher caffeine content than some of the other sodas right um, so i have like in moments of desperation drank a mountain dew to try to like stay, <laughs> stay awake or but i don't and there's nothing about mountain dew that i enjoy i will say that and i am a big soda junkie but yeah, yeah see, Mount- me too. I grew up like drinking all sorts of sodas, but not Mountain Dew for whatever yeah, reason. It never resonated with me. So, all right, well, best of luck to them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it will be their number one seller. <laughs> yeah, sure. All right, cool. Well, do we want to get into the main topic? Let's do it. I'm really excited about this one. Yeah, and we diversified our research this time, so hopefully we can give you a more coherent picture of the style. Yeah, and a wide breadth of information, yeah. So I did a little bit of the history of, so I'm talking, we're talking about basically in some of the research I did, they actually called them rustics, Um, but these are farmhouse ales, um, saisons, rustics, Stephen's going to cover a couple other styles, but it's actually funny, I think rustic is actually a really good name for them because... Historically, these beers were just beers that were made on the farm. <laughs> you know, it's just part of the things you would do. You would milk cows and then you would make your ale. <laughs> so uh, a lot of the character, a lot of what's characterized um, or what characterizes the style is that they weren't great. <laughs> so they would kind of use 
whatever grains they had available to them and they would a lot of them did their own malting because of that you know they're this is something that they it wasn't something that was their full-time job, right? So, you know, now you're thinking about, like, beer has become such a commodity that, you know, people sit around and make it all the time. This is just something you might do, like, once or twice during the year just to produce a little something extra you could sell or you could enjoy. And so because of that, <laughs> they ended up being very sharp, harsh in many cases, just because they're not experts at what they're doing. So it sounds really romantic. It's like, oh, this is like true, um, rustic, organic, you know, at the farm brewing. But I think probably a lot of it was very bad. Uh, <laughs> what's interesting, though, and what's kind of tragic about the style in general is I feel like, well, in the early days, it's kind of like everyone had their, you know, like their family recipe. All of those are pretty much lost to time. Because to jump a little bit ahead, like as the industrial revolution started and, you know, commercial beer started, a lot of people abandoned farms. And so, you know, they just abandoned, they'd also abandoned the style of brewing beer. So you just, a lot of it just went quietly into the night and we'll never really know like what they were doing or what they were making. Um, but a lot of the legacy continues. So a lot of these beers they're going to be naturally fermented. So, you know, they're leaving them open to the air and they're getting their yeast, you know, just natural yeast, whatever's in the air. Uh, a lot of people used cool ships. So kind of the big metal pan where they would put the beer in and let it cool down and then it would get inoculated by whatever's in the air. And then the other thing they did was, I think, and this is probably in part to the fact that the beers were not that great. You did see a lot of additions. So uh, uh, ginger was very popular and basically just kind of whatever spices you had. But you see people using pepper, ginger, just <laughs> maybe to make it a little bit more palatable. But what's really cool is that, you know, like historically that was done for that reason. But even the beer I think you mentioned today that you drank, they added, was it pepper that they added to it? And pepper and strawberries, strawberry juice. Yeah, so um, the modern interpretations of the style uh, have stayed very true to being very yeast forward and also to having those additions. So a very, very um, rustic, I again return to that word, origin um, that then did start to evolve and kind of gave way to industrialization, but then remained popular so and actually it had it actually had like a bougie streak <laughs> so um well it's very champagne-y so i believe that yeah so it's funny that you mentioned champagne so like after world war ii i guess was kind of the height of this style and they started to market it as like a luxury product and they were putting it in champagne bottles to try to make it like extra fancy um and that was, yeah, I think for a while it did really well. Um, it just yeah. look at this bottle. <laughs> yeah, look at that bottle. It looks like a champagne. It looks it like a, a champagne fancy bottle. champagne wine bottle, yeah. Yeah, and it's very brightly colored and all that stuff. Yeah, interesting that uh, it did have that kind of period where it was extremely popular. And so you kind of have, what you have is this history of people making these beers and adding all of these oh here's some of the other things they would add um sage pepper peppercorn coriander cumin just kind of whatever you get your hands on and then it kind of evolves into this more fancy style and they are trying to sell them to people and kind of marketing them as this like more uh, luxury product and they kind of take on different styles but however this movement doesn't last that long the style actually starts to fall out of fashion it's interesting we're going to cover this more but brewery dupont um almost it seems like at least from my research single-handedly <laughs> saves the style so like the anchor brewing of uh yeah, Belgium. it's funny. Like whenever we do these deep dives, it's like there's always like one person that like steps in and is like, "No, I like refuse to." Let I will this not stop. let this die. 
Exactly. So DuPont, and I'll go in a little bit of the history of DuPont, because I think this is probably like the most important part of this style. And when I was reading about this history, it was like blowing my mind. But it's located in Torps, which I don't know if I'm saying that right. But um, it's a ti- it says it's a tiny farming village nine months from France. And it's basically out in farm fields. And get this. So DuPont itself, the farm it's based on, is 20 years older than the United States. So let that zinc in for like... <laughs> oh, it's so insane. Over here. It's so crazy to think about that. Um, but they started brewing in 1844. So they have a long history. And what's really cool is they did... Uh, again, this is a similar story we hear a lot. They basically did everything. So they're, you know, they're, and, and, and a lot of it is, and a lot of the style is influenced by the, the methods that it's, it's brewed. And it's a combination of the methods in which it's brewed. And then kind of what we talked about, uh, but in other deep dives, um, just the terrier, the, you know, the earth, like, so there's like components of the water, if the water has certain characteristics in that area, there's all these things that are kind of going into the um, the brewing process that kind of makes it unique. And so they're using their own barley, um, they were doing their own killing, they actually only stopped, or sorry, they're doing their own malting. They actually only stopped, like, it says it's, they stopped in 1986. Because actually, malting is pretty dangerous. <laughs> um, malting and fires go hand in hand. So, but they, I mean, they were doing that for over 100 years. They're doing their own malting. They're using, I guess they used, until 2008, they used a mash ton, which was dated to before 1844. <laughs> before it finally gave out and yeah they just continuously have been brewing and they have a really good um i guess they're masters of uh the yeast there and it's like they have kind of like a secret yeast and they they're using it for like hundreds of generations and just just everything is super traditional and, you know, in my research, of course, I kind of said this happens every time we do one of these deep dives. But now all I want in the world <laughs> is because I still make, uh, they make a Saison and they make another beer. They still make those. Um, and I just want to try one so bad now because it's like this this connection to the past of the style to a brewery that's older than the United States of America. So... Yeah, that was incredible to me. So they kind of pick it up and keep it going. And then what happens, and I think Stephen can speak more to this, but kind of with the rebirth of the revolution of craft brewing, these styles get very popular in the United States. Especially what they're doing in the United States is there a lot of stuff you see is wild yeast, which is really cool. I love that as a concept. It's such an amazing concept. The other thing that America does is they're really hot forward. So, you know, it's kind of like we talked about in some of the other deep dives. But, you know, we're kind of you see the style become popular, spread across the world and then be emulated by other countries. Um, And then it's kind of its own spin on it, which is really cool. It's like the own remix. Like they're being true to the style, but then, you know, the water they're using or the local ingredients they're using, and maybe they put their own little twist on it. All of, the, all of that is kind of evolving what it is. But it's a very healthy and very popular set of styles. These um, basically like, I don't know, maybe farmhouse or rustic might be the good umbrella term for them. They're really popular in... Um, and completely unappreciated by me, but <laughs> again, like every time we do one of these deep dives, it like rectifies a hole in my beer game, and I'm like, oh dang, I'm gonna appreciate these styles now, and I'm gonna like seek them out. Um, but yeah, apparently they're very popular here, and we can go after. Uh, I'm gonna pass it to Stephen to kind of explain some of the derivative styles, but we can also return to kind of the modern styles that are available. That you know they're keep 
still being made. And it's so funny because I think I've said this in other deep dives too. Like as I was going through the list of popular ones, I know I've had like Tank 7 both from uh, Boulevard Brewing. I know I've had that. Like I've, I'm looking at the bottle. I'm like, oh, I, I remember purchasing that and drinking it. But just with like absolutely zero appreciation of the style. <laughs> like, oh, that looks cool. Like yeah, this has a good review. Like I'll drink it. But now I want to drink it again and just kind of try to soak in you know, what I'm actually drinking and kind of it's linked to history. Yeah, so a, an ancient style basically that survived and kind of flourished in the, well, it was kind of uh, kept alive by one brewery and now it's kind of taken root in the craft beer scene and it's flourishing. So yeah, very cool. And I totally appreciate these styles now. Yeah. So well, a good example of sort of the American twist on the style is that this Goose Island Jillian is not really true to any original farmhouse style. I mean, the fact that it's eight and a half percent is not true to style. These were historically low ABV beers. The term saison is French for season, and it was brewed during the cold months. Because that was when you had uh, the right yeast in the air. Mm -hmm. But it was meant to be consumed in the summer months. So they brewed it in the winter, drank it in the summer, and the people that were drinking it were the seasonal workers that would come out and work in the fields. Uh, and they're, you know, they were called saisonniers, so the seasonal workers. It's like um, Port Rumor Porter. Yeah, Porter. <laughs> yeah. It's funny how a lot of these names are derived from the people who are drinking Drink them. them. Yeah. In fact, I'll just jump to another. So one of these other farmhouse styles is called Grasset. just means little gray one. It was consumed by the miners in the area. The miners were working in these, like, the gray rock that they were mining through. Also, there's some reference to the women who were the bartenders they wore like a gray uniform or something so anyway it's a reference to one of those things but anyway that's where the term grisette comes from yeah. uh, so a lot of these beers a lot of the farmhouse beers this umbrella farmhouse ale it's really just covering like you said like home brewing 101 <laughs> you know it's just uh part of their lifestyle and they're brewing this beer for the people that were working in their fields uh the people that were the local miners um, these are just the beers that were made for the local workers. To sort of break down a few of these styles, Saison, that was sort of a gold to light color. Pale malts were used, um, so not a lot of color, not a lot of, not a lot of malt flavor, very light. Most of the flavor was coming from the yeast character, the Breton mice yeast. They were very, very highly carbonated. They were bottle conditioned. The fact that you were aging them from winter to summer was a long enough time to where all those wild yeasts would sour the beer. So it was tart and fruity, a lot of esters. And that's also where you get that sort of horse blanket, funky flavors, peppery flavors, and very, very highly attenuated. So very dry, not sweet. You look at this American version, Jillian from Goose Island. It's pretty sweet Okay. with the strawberry additions. So it's still dry in the finish, but definitely sweet from the fruit, fruit adjunct, which is not what you would find in the Saison, which may be what we don't like about it because you and I have both expressed somewhat of a <laughs> hard relationship with Saison, the, some of the Saisons yeah, we've oh, tried. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> and, which is why I think the Saison Dupont would be interesting to to taste because that's more like the very very original saison um it'd be interesting to see if i like that one too because i think some of that harshness and some of that dryness without any sort of fruit addition so very much coming from the aged hops and the wild yeast that's sort of all you get whatever comes out of that that's what you get i think that might be the harder thing to like get used to and learn about so it'd be interesting to try that beer um yeah i definitely want to get my hands on that and it's kind of like exactly what you're saying like i want to go to the source and try like this is like the cheese pizza of saison <laughs> and then right. see if i can develop a relationship with that but that's one of the things that especially about saison that was like striking me i kind of i guess i knew this in the back of my mind but you know like right now with all these ha hazies that are um, dry hopped they're really trying to put forward the hop as like the the focal point of the flavor profile but with saison it seems like it's the yeast 
which it's funny because mm-hmm. you have this like balance between the malt and the yeast and the hop. It's just cool to think about there's styles that are kind of like dedicated to one of the three. And I guess I just never really wrapped my head around the, the fact that that's what they're doing and appreciated that's what they're doing. And so now I do really want to try it because I want to try to appreciate because I feel like it's a good platform to start to learn to appreciate the yeast characteristics. And then maybe that will translate into, you know, when I taste other beers, I'll be able to pull out a little bit more kind of what the yeast is adding to the beer overall. So, yeah, this is a really cool fact or like something that like jumped out at me while we were doing our research for this episode. Well, we talked a little bit last week about um, how the new england hazy ipa in some ways sort of deletes the malt you know as a a contributing factor to the flavor of the beer really what they are doing there usually some of them use a pretty neutral yeast but not all of them Um, some of them are using a very fruity ester yeast to complement the fruity flavors from the dry hopping so that style while maybe it'd be easy to say like oh it's kind of a a hack it's kind of a like an easy way out to say to just delete one of those things. It's not necessarily untrue to other styles of beer where you like in this style where you don't really have a hop flavor profile, you have a yeast and maybe a malt profile. So yeah, no, that makes sense. And it's just, yeah, it's just interesting the differences. Yeah, exactly. Right? So I, I'll talk a little bit more about some of these other styles. The grisette that I mentioned is very similar to the saison. So it's going to be low ABV, very light body, effervescent carbonation, tart. It's very very similar. Essentially, it's just a little bit a different geographical area. Uh, who the you know who the beer was being made for essentially but it's they're very very similar and you will see those they're they're pretty hard to find you will see jester king uh if you wanted to find a grisette they usually have at least one grisette release every year and it's usually a different fruit adjunct so they've made a cherry grisette a raspberry grisette a currant grisette i think they made a few other flavors but um but yeah they regularly put out a grisette Nice, that's really cool. Sign me up for that cherry. Yeah, right. <laughs> the some of the other styles you'll find is uh one's called the Bière de Garde, translates to beer for keeping. This is somewhat different in that it is there's a wide range of color variation to these. They can be very blonde to very um, deep amber. They have much more of a toasted malt sweetness to them. The alcohol is a little bit more evident than in Saison, uh, although it is still a fairly low ABV beer. You still have that yeast characteristic, but they're lower esters and lower hop profile, and they will not be quite as tart if tart at all because they're not aged they are served two weeks after fermentation so you don't give a lot of time uh, for that that wild yeast to sour the beer the big split between these two styles saisons and beer de garde had a lot to do with the world war so these beers are brewed on the border between belgium and france belgium was not as affected by the war as france was so a lot of the French breweries were destroyed. A lot of the brewing was halted. A huge swath of the French population was killed. So you had fewer beer drinking customers. So brewing took a huge hit in France. It did not take as much of a hit in Belgium. So the beer that so Saison is a is a truly a Belgian style. Now it's the French area of Belgium, the French speaking area of Belgium, but. Uh, the Bière de Garde is the French style that sort of came out of the World War. It was lighter, maltier. Loggers were sort of taking over the world at that point, and you had to brew a beer that was closer to a lager to to make it popular. Unfortunately, <laughs> I I remember we covered that in one of our other deep dives, and it was funny. It was like the um, yeah, it was kind of like if Mac, it, like the macro style was taking over. <laughs> yeah, it was the, the dark, styles. the dark ages of beer. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so that's the there was a very harsh sort of um, fork in the road there between the saison, the beer, de garde, simply because France was hit harder by 
the war than Belgium was. And they continued to brew. Belgium continued to brew the style that they had brewed for so many years. Um, France had kind of changed. Uh, the other one is called table beer. You'll see that. Or beer de table. Very low ABV. 1-3%. to 3%, Very malty and sweet. These, the color ranges from very light to very, very dark. Another very lightly hopped beer. Very little hop bitterness or aroma. If you talk to some older Belgians, they will remember this beer as their sort of first beer as a child. Sitting at the, the big table, family dinner, drinking the table beer. Oh, wow. And that it kind of has and it has that lower ABV, too. So, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. That's, that's you can drink a lot of it, mm-hmm. right? You can drink it all dinner long, all night long. Uh, yes. So you'll see um, field work. You're lucky. Field work. Oh, do they make one? They very often have a table beer on tap. That's mm-hmm. awesome. I'll have to check that out. I I, I would have never noticed before, but I'll definitely go see if I can get one. Um, DuPont, the, bre- the brewery we were talking about, the super... Uh, old one longer older than america yeah they they make something called avril and that's a table beer 3.5 percent abv so that's something i'd like to see if i can get my hands on too it says one of the few examples of a farmhouse table beer yeah they're not very good they're not very good i don't think (laughs) wait why why do you say that i know i mean maybe i should try it again now that we've done the deep dive and i have the historical perspective but I don't, uh, it doesn't appeal to me. Like, um, I understand, like, why it would exist historically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know if it's what I want to drink for pleasure. Yeah. I'll I mean, I think the equivalent, the American equivalent would be sitting around at a pool party drinking Coors Light. Right. Right? Like, you can drink it all night long. Mm-hmm. You're going to eventually get drunk. You're, you don't have to think about it at all. Right. You know? So, I think that's, you know, it's the old Belgian version of... <laughs> Americans at a pool park. <laughs> You're welcome for that analogy. <laughs> That's a really good analogy. You should start calling that function beer. Function beer. Yeah, it only has a, one yeah. function. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. So there is another style. So, so we, you know, we talk about this as being like a rustic homebrew, basically. Mm-hmm. And... Really, every country had a farmhouse ale. Um, they had whatever beer they made out of their locally grown, whatever they had available. Every country, Egypt had beer, the Sumerians made beer. They made beer out of whatever they had. The other farmhouse ale you will see very occasionally, but you will see it, um, is called Sahti, S-A-H-T-I. The H is kind of a um, like a Hebrewish H pronunciation, so it's Sahti. It's from Finland. It's the Finnish version of a farmhouse ale. It's what they were brewing at home. Considered to be one of the oldest beer styles known. Uh, oh wow! They have history of it being brewed as early as the 1300s. Record of it being brewed, and That's maybe crazy. even earlier than that by the Vikings, the Finnish Vikings. <laughs> okay. This is a beer brewed with juniper, usually in place of the hops. Newer styles have been hopped, but old style usually this is mostly like pre hop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They used hot stones to caramelize the wort. This is old school. It's, <laughs> it is basically described as drinking a forest, very oh, yeah. piney, very, very woody, oaky, cedary, pine needly beer it'd be very interesting so there are not a lot of commercially brewed versions of this beer obviously i think if you look up on beer advocate like the top rated sahti beers <laughs> there's like 13 of them like they're all rated <laughs> yeah because there's only that many and i think the number one uh have you ever heard of the ale apothecary uh they have a sahati okay it's called sahati and i've seen it i think i've seen it i've seen the label and you'll definitely that that's one of the very true to style and you will get people that drink it and think this is so weird like it tastes like a forest it tastes like pine needles in my mouth like very very strange beer uh dogfish head brews one 
called. Of course they do. <laughs> yeah. They brew one called Sachti, which, but the T is a T E A, S A H T E A. They actually do the whole caramelization over hot stones thing still. Do they really? Yeah. That is really cool. Okay, as much as we make fun of Dogfish Head, I know. That's But they do try to do, yeah, they try to do a few um, historical things too. I don't know if they still do that, but. that they have had, they have brewed this in the past. Uh, but yeah, so that's sort of your uh, <laughs> another weird. And again, just brewing with what they had, making an alcoholic drink, like you know, and making something using you know the juniper or later the hops. A lot of the hop additions, like in early beer, was just preservation. <laughs> it wasn't like today where you're you're growing hops, you're um, genetically modifying hops to create hops with amazing tropical fruit aromas like that's not you know they were had a sole purpose of preservation and eliminating bacteria and uh, yeast infections from the beer so you know they were just using the things that would work that would make the beer last a long time so that they could drink it while they were away on their viking cruises (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's. I mean, that's kind of the theme of all these styles is it was just people fermenting with what they could ferment with. <laughs> yep. And the thing was, you know, with like the seasonal workers in France and Belgium, water was seen as a, a common source of infection and sickness. So beer was more of the drink of choice because the alcohol killed all the stuff that would uh, would create sickness. So. No, that makes sense. I mean, it was the safer thing to drink. Yeah, this is very functional, like Coors Light. <laughs> Function beer. More than that, like I feel like in that time period, it was essential. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it was a different function. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's still a function, but because it was the like ABV a... was very low. Mm-hmm. Uh, the point wasn't necessarily to get you drunk. It was just to have something to drink. Something refreshing to drink during the hot summer months. And something safe to drink. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is crazy. It's crazy to think about. We take a lot of things for granted in the uh, era we exist in. So. Yeah. It is very cool that, um, you know, like so many of these styles, the American craft beer revolution has brought a lot of these styles back to the forefront, made them popular again, made them just the fact that we know about these types of beer and these old historical types of beer is just cool. I mean, I just don't I don't know whether we would even know about some of these beers would it not be for the at least in a, in the United States had it not been for the American beer craft revolution and these people who were dedicated to making good beer and also like making sure that these old styles didn't die out um, and become uh, just find themselves on the, the the graveyard heap of history. So yeah, no, I love that. I think that's like one of the recurring themes of our deep dives is just we're seeing a couple themes. Like one, reinvigoration of like these ancient styles, and two, a lot of times we do see like a single actor <laughs> or like a single brewery like making a stand and helping something survive, and then it becomes popular again. And now I feel like you know, a lot of these styles have so much momentum in the craft world, and the craft beer is very popular right now, and rem- as far as I can tell, will remain to be popular. So yeah, they've kind of been cemented in the current craft style, and so that history has been saved in a way and continued on, which is really cool. And now we just use them as ways to like develop our palates and try new things. <laughs> exactly. And say, oh yeah, this is good, even though it's terrible. speaking of taking things for granted yeah (laughs) it's like yeah you know the 700 old 700 year old beer well (laughs) i just drink it so i can talk to my friend about it on a podcast yeah (laughs) it's like i pretend that i love it even though it's terrible No. no this beer is actually good yeah no beer is actually good but this is the nine percent version that makes you like anything that's true. That's why you get that's and that is why we give our thumbs up, thumbs down at the top of the episode, because 
I will say, and I actually remember last week I was drinking that Todd's Cupcakes. My, oh, yeah. My opinion of the beer on the last, like, three sips was quite high. But This <laughs> is great! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but remember, that was influenced by its 12% <laughs> ABV. So you got to score before you have the rose-tinted glasses on. Maybe. Yes. <laughs> so do we want to just mention a couple of breweries that are kind of still doing some of these styles? Uh, I know we mentioned DuPont, so that was yeah. the Brasserie Dupont. Oh, there you go. I was afraid to say it, but they um, made. I put on my my best French accent for that. That was pretty you. good. I'm actually impressed. Um, but they make the saison that I really want to try because that kind of seems like that's that's the one. That's like the source. But then they also make that Avril or Avril. I don't know how to say it, but that's a uh, that table beer. So you can still try that too, which is really cool. And then as I mentioned before, um, Boulevard Brewing has one called Tank Seven. And which <laughs> I know I drank and did not appreciate. Um, but uh, they, Hen- Hennepin from uh, Brewery Omagang. Yeah, name? so Omagang, I think, yeah, they definitely make one. Yeah, Hennepin. So, and then as the one you're drinking today from Goose Island. Yeah. yeah they have because, a Saison too. Yeah, they also do a Saison. So, uh, it's another name, like another first name, and I can't remember what it is. I think it's, is it Sophie? Sophie. Uh, yeah. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Sophie. And then I feel like Artisan Prairie Ales has to do a Saison. Like, let me, I'm going to look it up really quick, yeah. but I swear they have some farmhouse. But yeah, there's a lot of. You know, the other a, um, big one is Hill Farmstead in in Vermont. Uh, Hill okay. Farmstead Brewery, like, they do whatever you. They're essentially the Jester King in uh, New England. They do all oh, sorts of, not- like,. Amazing New England IPAs, and then also all these amazing wild ales. In fact, yes. I think if you look at the top 20 or whatever, top 50 saisons on Beer Advocate, Hill Farmstead has like half of them. <laughs> really? That's really yeah. funny. They're like dominant. Yeah. So they have one called Anne. A-N-N. They're all female names for some reason. Oh, I found actually Prairie Artists and Ales. This is what I was thinking of. They have a beer just called Standard, and it says it's a hoppy farmhouse. Hmm. Okay. Sounds yeah. pretty good. Just yeah, does that a lot too. Okay, they like do a hop forward one, and that is mm-hmm. kind of what I read in some of my research is that you know America likes to make take this style and make it hop forward, which yeah, that's cool. But what's interesting when I kind of scan um, the breweries that are making it, you have some of the traditional breweries, and then you have a lot of the you know the newer craft breweries that kind of have picked up the torch. Yeah. So, um, so uh, Jester King has a Reposé, which is their beer de Garde. Uh, Fieldwork, which I mentioned before, they have one called Hannah. I, just, okay. I swear they all just named them after females. Uh, that's a beer de Garde. Their table beer is Althea and Hugo. So they, what is this tradition of? They threw in a male name on that one. Yeah, what is this tradition of like all know, these beers are named one first little, name? Oh, first yeah. name. I know, weird, huh? Oh, it's interesting. Oh, so we mentioned it. So I mentioned Ale Apothecary. They have that Sahti. Dogfish Head has the Sahti. Uh, Jester King has the Grissettes. Um, yeah. Did we miss anything? I don't think so. Definitely a lot of options. I And I know this is a style I've definitely had trouble with. But now I feel like with the energy of this deep dive, I'm going to ride ride the wave and try to explore the style. There's also, another one, and I don't know if it's still made. It's called Perdition from Russian River. <laughs> Wait, really? Russian River yeah. makes one? Oh, let me see. If Not this sure which it. category Perdition falls under. Saison? It's either a Saison or a Bure de Garde. I'm not sure. I'm looking it up right now. It's part of that <laughs> sanctification, supplication. Okay, yeah. Yeah, Perdition. Farmhouse Ale, Bure de Garde. Ah, okay. So it's Bure de Garde. Yeah. Oh, Beer de Garde, yeah. And it's, you yeah. know what's funny? It's number 17 ranked in that style. Oh, Lost Abbey, of course. They make a bunch of this stuff, mm, too. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. The other one you might see is uh, Crooked Stave in Denver. Fort Worth, we have Brewery Cooperative or something. They do some wild stuff, too. So it is it is becoming popular. The the Just the, the wild ales in general and that's like that's a huge umbrella because you can make so many beers and just wild ferment them basically uh but those breweries tend to do some sort of 
stays on some sort of grisette table beer or something like that because they stem from the wild ale umbrella. So if you're going to make other ones, why not just make those styles too? So they kind of just, you'll see those styles coming out of those breweries that tend to use wild yeast. Yeah, that's really cool. And there's a lot of options. And now that I'm scanning these lists, I just, I have not tried a lot of these. So it's good. Hopefully we can explore this style more in. We'll cover it in our next beer journey episode in 19 more episodes or whatever. <laughs> hey, we're branching out this season. Yeah. yeah we're going to drink going some barley wines. Barley wine and Saison. IPAs. Yes. Some wild ales. Wild ales. Okay. That's our goal. Alright, I'm going to Total Wine. I'm ready. I'm ready That's to spend. the best place, honestly. They usually have a bunch of that stuff. Yeah. I'm it's just stuff spend. I never look at. That's it's the like thing. The section that I walk past because it is like, the section that I walk there's past. There's like a bunch of Belgian brewers that I don't recognize and I just ignore it. Dude, we're disrespecting their elders. We're disrespecting the progenitors of beer. We need to go pay respects by buying these beers drinking them and giving them thumbs ups on the podcast mm-hmm. <laughs> all right well i'll try to get some before our next episode and we'll i'll be i'll do my homework i'll be prepared <laughs> all right well do i have anything else we want to add to this deep dive go drink a saison check it out yeah i agree i'm you'll not... love it i promise <laughs> i don't know if you'll love it <laughs> Well, if you want to connect with us, we do have an Instagram, thetenuation.podcast, where we have over 40 followers or subscribers or whatever they're called. And you can also email us at attenuation or contact.attenuation at gmail.com. So, yeah, feel free to reach out. Other than that, I think that's a wrap on our deep dive. And... My name is Jason, and I'm joined by my best friend since eighth grade, Stephen. That's me. <laughs> and we are saying salute, and we will see you next week for episode 23. Awesome. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Attenuation of Your Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Instagram or Facebook for more fun content. Catch you next week. Cheers.